0: Hello, and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large, in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We have a very exciting and important victory to report on today. One that gives all of us at the Academy real hope for the future of our efforts. So stay tuned for that great news. Uh, this month we have pretty good news on the economy as well. The U.S. economic doomsday clock is ticking backwards away from midnight. Uh, but Ronaldo, let's start with wages. Uh, what's, what's the latest good news?
1: Well, first of all, uh, welcome everyone. And it's really great to be with you once again on the show Um, You know, we've seen some interesting headlines and if you haven't observed them, don't blame yourself. They're they're tucked away in ways that you wouldn't normally pick them off and they're extremely important to report. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the show later. But one of those is, um, you know, what's Walmart up to? They're raising wages. Uh, What's Starbucks up to? They're raising wages. What's what's Aetna up to? Raising wages. Uh, What's Home Depot up to? Raising wages. Um, So, All of these companies, and and I believe, is it 16 now? I think it's 16 jurisdictions have raised the minimum wage as well.
0: I think 16 states, yeah. States,
1: since last year. So what's going on? And and, and I want to read you a quote from the CEO of one of America's largest companies, uh, Aetna. Uh, His name is Mark Bertolini, and I'm proud of him as a business person saying the following, quote, it's not fair for employees at a Fortune 50 company to be struggling to make ends meet. Close quote. Now, I think that's absolutely correct. That's, that. It, there's no question that is true. I think it's about time that a major CEO like that observed it. I also think, as we've said reported on the show a number of months ago, Lloyd Blankflane, the chairman of Goldman Sachs, set, wrote an op-ed piece in the New York Times saying the wealth disparity, the income dis- dis- distribution, has got to quit getting so much in favor of the rich over everybody else. And just to let you know how much room we've got to go on that, Interesting quote just came out this week. Literally, um, a record 1,826 billionaires made this year's Forbes Richest List with an aggregate net worth. Listen to this, folks: an aggregate net worth of those billionaires of 7.05 trillion dollars. Now, to give you some perspective, the entire global GDP is only 64 trillion. The entire GDP of the U.S. is 16, 17 trillion. So, you're talking about an enormous amount of money held by these billionaires. That number, seven point oh five trillion, is up from last year, when it was six point four trillion. Meaning more aggregation of wealth has occurred at the top.
0: Six hundred fifty billion dollars more. More, right? In one year. Yeah,
1: and 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 two hundred and ninety newcomers made it to the list, just to let you know. So there was no shortage of places to play if you were wanting to be a billionaire. These list keeps expanding. Wow, and. And by the way, it, it now it, I think it's actually a positive note. It now includes 46 billion years under the age of 40, meaning a bunch of high-tech people got in the door. Well, here's the, here's the point I want to make about this. If wages are starting to rise at Walmart, at Starbucks, at Aetna, at uh, Home Depot, etc., that is going to do, together with those 16 states that have now raised their minimum wage, more to power the U.S. economy than all the things that the federal government didn't do and should have done during the stimulus period. So we've now exhausted, we're at the point in the curve where government overreacted, uh, the Congress created basically scarcity. We know that that doesn't work in any country where it's, uh, the the entire attempt to improve the economy by driving down economic activity is as crazy as it sounds. So, So we know that that never worked. And and, and even though some countries, Germany continue, and you'll hear about this later in the show when we talk about Greece, continues to believe austerity is the key, the truth is every smart business person is now realizing that Keynes was actually right. Meaning, in an economy where consumers represent two-thirds or more to three-quarters of the total spending power, you've got to have consumers who have money to spend. And so it's really important that we recognize this wage level increase at the very bottom of our economy, which has not yet closed the wealth gap, but I predict you will see by June of this year the first change in probably since the 70s where the wealth gap starts to close. And it won't be because the billionaires are making less, as you just I just read to you, they're making more and there's more of them. It's that we're finally getting to the point where all those people that represent 99% of the population, the lowest of those are starting to increase their income, they're earning their wages. And one of the reasons for this I, is not so honorable, I'll tell you that one first, and one of them is very honorable. The one that's not so honorable, and I think uh, we all are aware, CEOs across the board in the United States and increasingly in other countries, but particularly in the US, are recognizing that if we don't raise the income level of those people in the bottom of the ladder, we cannot power the consumer economy. Their customers aren't going to be able to show up to buy. I, I've, I've observed, you know, Walmart, for example, is going from uh, nine dollars uh, up to nine dollars an hour from seven twenty-five this year, and they're going to go from nine to ten dollars next year. So going from seven twenty-five to ten in, in two years. Now, the day they the day this all came out, the very next day, every single significant analyst on Wall Street, every single one criticized Walmart and downgraded their stock. And here was what they said. They said, in effect, well, Walmart's gonna pay more to its people. That's kind of nice, but look, it's gonna really hurt their bottom line because it's, how's it gonna help them? And all this is more expense and no more revenue. So let's sell Walmart stock. Ladies and gentlemen, I immediately spoke to George Kay at the First Affirmative Academy-Advised Fund. And I said, George, take a look at your computer. Walmart stock is down today. They're wrong on Wall Street. I really want to urge you to buy Walmart stock in the Academy advised portfolio because Wall Street is wrong. We know that when you end two years of labor strife that Walmart has had, it's got to improve their profitability. And by the way, all those employees whose wages they just increased by a buck or more, guess where they're going to spend the money? Walmart. So sales are going to go up. The marketing costs to get people to come to the store are going to stay the same or go down because they won't be fighting such negative press. And a company, Walmart, who has one of the best environmental records of any company in the world and for years has been known as a, as a, as a cretin when it comes to labor, all of a sudden is now dealt with the number one problem the public had in supporting its stores. I believe this, this, this attitude, which was brought about because of a calculated move to improve the economic performance, Walmart did not do this because they're nice people. They did it because it was smart. And by the way, I think that's true of Home Depot. I think it's true of Starbucks, and I think it's true of many others.
0: Um, what, let, me, let me comment on that real quick. I, th- I think the Walmart issue is really important, obviously, in terms of the, the zeitgeist in American business because it's the number one private employer in the country. Actually, it's the number one employer in the country uh, besides the federal government, right? I think they still represent 16 70% of the total retail spending in America. And yeah, and I think they employ one out of every 100 people yeah. in the country. So they're on par with, you know, any, they're the largest company, in, you know, in, in the whole sector. And they're making a move after significant pressure from their employees and from labor unions. They've been picketed for two years. And, and Exactly. And, and, and it shows also that I think that people getting active on this issue is really working. Absolutely. And and, and, and so congratulations to Walmart.
1: I'd like it if they became an even more benign organization because they thought it was the right thing to do. But I'm actually happier that they did it because it was the smart thing to do. Because what it says is that American CEOs are getting the message. The memo got through. Your customers have to have enough money to spend with you or your business won't grow. So now that we know that, it gives us a reason to improve it. By the way, Walmart was calculated, too, because they look at all the states where the... Minimum wage already went up because of statutes. So some of these people getting wages got wages increases because of the states they live in, not just because of Walmart's yeah. attitude. Now, but then go back to that quote by Mark Bertolini of Aetna. See, what Bertolini said that it was, and he used the quote marks around the word fair. See, there are some CEOs in America now who are beginning to use words like fair. Isn't that a really encouraging sign? Because what, what he didn't say it's better for Aetna. He said, it's not fair for a fortune company, 50 company, to be struggling to make men's eat when you work there, if in fact we're doing well. So I want to leave this thought with, with all of our listeners. Never give up on business, because we continue to believe at the Academy that if business doesn't shift, there is no hope for any of us. Let's celebrate the Walmarts of this world who do the right thing, even if it isn't for the best reason. And let's even more celebrate people like Bertolini and, and send them an email. Tell him you appreciate what he said let 's let 's give some feedback to those executives who know that they can do just as well as they need to and still do it for all the right reasons it 's time that the concept of fairness entered the american economy
0: yeah I think you 're right, Ronaldo, to point out that word fair um, it 's not a word that you necessarily hear on Wall Street <laughs> and in the in boardrooms from a, my impression and, and from my following of the news. But it's an important frame, and it's an important PR piece for, for people to understand, which is that Americans believe deeply in fairness. And one of the big problems we've had in our political structure is that a lot of politicians don't know how to speak about fairness as a, as a core value of why they do what they do. Uh, it's one of the reasons people trust Obama, uh, especially in his campaign, because he talked about an inherent fairness that's a part of the American dream. And that fairness and that idea of fairness is something that we learn as kids. It's actually in us before we start being socialized to become individuals and individualistic. You'll watch kids. There's a video floating around on the Internet, a viral video of kids who got a snack and then the kids sitting next to them didn't in these test cases. And in every case, the, the young kids just broke it in half and shared. There was, no, there was no, not even a hesitation in helping their fellow childs. To, to eat that part of their snack, it's really impressive, and I, and I think it's a really powerful force that we should continue to, to to point out.
1: You remember that book, Everything I Ever Needed to Learn I Learned in Kindergarten?
0: I didn't read that. Yeah,
1: it's great. It's about like if there's some basic rules like play fair in the sandbox. You learn that when you're pre-K. Uh, share if you've got more than the kid next to you and he's going hungry, give him a piece. Uh, I just want to I, I just want to comment briefly. We have become such a sophisticated and frankly, in some ways, a cynical. And even more ways, I think we've become a um, kind of a uh, somnambulistic, a kind of sleepwalking culture. And we've forgotten the human dimension that really enriched our lives way more than we realized. And now that we've been losing it, we're, we're going to yearn to get it back. And that that's the part of our culture that actually likes fairness. Yeah. Th- th- there's a reason why people used to call this the land of the free and the home of the brave. It, it wasn't about tougher. It wasn't about bigger. It wasn't even about a World War II victory. What it really was was an, an attitude. That it, To be brave is not to take an AK-47 and shoot someone, or as what happened yesterday, uh, shoot two police officers in Ferguson, even though that police department's corrupt, as we now know shooting people isn't brave. What's brave is doing what, um, what American business is starting to do, looking at what the values are that are fair and just and equitable and building a society on that. When we hearken back to the work of Martin Luther King, to Bobby Kennedy, to Jack Kennedy, what we hear through all of their speeches combined is the way you create Camelot on the Hill, this gleaming city on the Hill, is through fairness, by caring for each other. And ladies and gentlemen, the more we can exhibit that in our daily lives, the more American business will see that it matters to us and they'll give us more opportunities to celebrate them for it.
0: I love it. Yeah. And it, and it goes along with something that we're going to talk about next here, Ronaldo, which is the the greed uh, narrative is starting to be eroded. Uh, we, we, we're seeing something here that you know we've been talking about here that consumers are waking up and businesses are waking up uh, and, and it's even getting down to the to how people are spending their money, which is an essential piece of, of the shift. Can you say a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so greed is good was the you know the, the, the mythical statement of Gordon Gekko, who was a movie character that represented the worst of Wall Street. And by the way, uh, Wall Street and the Investment Bank Committee is a long way from cleaned up, but I was delighted to see that virtually the entire upper management of Credit Suisse has been cashiered. Uh, and you're going to see a whole new... St- That's the second biggest bank in Switzerland. You're going to see a whole new ethos there that's being brought in. And, and, And so there are still people like Jamie Dimon running around who haven't really been adequately held to account for what he intentionally did and how he profited. But there are increasing signs that the rest of the financial community is beginning to get that they went too far and they're darn lucky no one went to jail. So the greed is good, which is what you would have heard four years ago. That's not, that's not happening anymore. Nobody is gonna mouth that, even a Jamie Dimon in, behind the curtain. But what they will be talking about is, what is the effect of what we've done, and, and unfortunately they'll try to minimize that effect by gutting uh, the, uh, the financial reforms, and they will use their phenomenal lobbying power to try and give them unfair advantages, and they once again will be you know violating the ghost of Glass-Steagall using depositors' money to gamble with. So we're far from out of the words. But what we are at is a point where these questions are now being asked. And what I want to encourage the American public, come awake, come alive. You know, you have more power right now in 2015 and what's immediately in front of us to affect the course of human civilization by affecting the course of conduct of American business. Let me give you an example. One of the greatest challenges facing American health right now is the fact that we're becoming resistant to antibiotics. And we all know that one of the biggest reasons for that is because we use antibiotics in our domesticated animals to make them fatter so that somebody can profit, Tyson's, by selling them to us as chicken. And we knew, we've known for decades, that eating the antibiotics in those chickens was reducing our, by our ability for our body to use those same antibiotics to fight serious disease. So antibiotic resistance is becoming a huge, it's globally a big problem, particularly in the U.S. because we've been eating so much antibiotic food. Okay, just this last week, McDonald's said it would no longer purchase chicken which used human antibiotics in the food chain. That is enormous. Ladies and gentlemen, that will change the entire production of chicken in this country because that one corporation, and we don't know why they did that, but clearly, they didn't do it to make more money, in their minds, unless it was a public relations thing. They did it because they realized that they were a huge human health crisis create, that they were creating. Yeah. So I want to celebrate McDonald's, a company that doesn't often come up for a, a, a high-five on my show, for doing the right thing, which will save hundreds of thousands of lives in the very f- near future, just because they're going to now eliminate all those antibiotics, and in the process, because I think they're the second largest, or the largest chicken processed chicken acquire in the country, um, they're going to change the whole supply chain. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to go out and feel completely good about it, go to a McDonald's and buy, uh, wait one month till the food chain (laughs) is clear, and go buy a chicken sandwich at McDonald's and feel good about the fact you're supporting them.
0: I want to say that I I think that McDonald's is also responding to pressure from the upcoming generation uh, that's doing more cooking at home. Actually, I, I saw a report on, I think it was on Marketplace on NPR, about millennials who got pretty crushed as a part of the great recession as a part when they were coming out of college and not having a lot of employment opportunities and many of them were looking for ways to save money and one of the big ways is to cook your own food so a lot of them learned how to cook a lot of them have and myself included have have learned what's really in our food and in the process haven't been going to places like McDonald's as much opting for more uh aligned choices if you do need a a fast food uh, uh, meal such as uh, chipotle and i saw chipotle recently changed their supply chain and refused to to buy pork that was out of step with their uh code of conduct i thought that was pretty remarkable in that you know their 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 chipotle uh, i guess it's their carnitas uh they they pulled pork from their they pulled pulled pork from their menu after the uh the, their supplier didn't pass their animal welfare standards. And, and I, that's, that, the CEO over there is doing what, what all businesses should do, which is really take firm stands and don't, don't do what's necessarily easy uh, because that's how you appeal to consu- consumers who care about what's going on in their bodies.
1: Yeah, and, you know, so a shout-out to Chipotle because that isn't the first time they've done something right. They, they, they did some very good things on chicken as well not too long ago. But it's also I want to do a shout-out to Panera. Uh, which is doing everything they can to bring more conscious food choices to people. And they're trying to educate their customer. I think business has this huge opportunity and a requirement really to educate its customers. But where that breaks down is where business for greed, solely for greed, intentionally tries to hide the ball. Nothing bugs me more than that. When, When a company knows that if the public knew what they knew, they wouldn't buy their product, and they do everything they can to get the government to stop you from knowing that to me is the height of immorality and frankly it ought to be criminal it ought to be so illegal it is criminal it isn't just something they should be fined for they should be put in jail for it so that let's, that brings up one of my favorite topics gmos so genetically modified organisms we have a, pro, a project here at the academy uh, basically it's a sort kind of a truth in labeling project it's like giving consumers the information they need to know to make a choice so McDonald's responded in part, as probably as many of you know, their stock has been falling, their sales have been falling, and so I think the chicken thing might have been, in part, attempt to reinvigorate their brand. Okay, whatever the reason, God bless them for doing it. In the case of Monsanto and Archer Daniel Midlands, ADM, there is no justifying motive for their continuing pressure on the U.S. government and their massive amount of, of marketing dollars spent in, in lobbying So that you as an American consumer are not allowed to even know when there are GMOs in your food. Why is that? Well, first of all, you should know that only Canada and the United States, amongst all Western industrialized countries, those two, Canada and the U.S., where Monsanto and ADM control the agricultural sector, are the only two countries in the industrial world where you don't have to tell people on the package when a GMO is used. It's crazy. And they keep it off the package because they, they even litigate to stop people from asking to put it on the package. So I wanted you to uh, I'm very proud of the fact the World Business Academy and a sister nonprofit called Omega Point Institute and uh, uh, our first corporate sponsor, uh, Garlic Gold, have been sponsoring a walk that started on January 5th of this year by a young man named Taylor. It's called Taylor's Walk to Know. Taylor's walking across the United States. Uh, he's cleared Arizona, he's now in New Mexico. In fact, when he was in Arizona, a bill was introduced in the Arizona legislature by three le- legislators to basically request, uh, require GMO labeling. Uh, he will continue to walk for the purpose of alerting the public we should have the right to know. Now, I, I really respect the fact Taylor's not saying ban GMOs, and there's a lot of reasons people might say that. But I think nobody should disagree with the principle that we have a right to know what we consume and then let us choose to consume whether or not. To me, not giving us the right to know, that's worse than cheering us as children. That's like treating us as guinea pigs. It's, it's making us at the end of someone else's greed, and that's where greed is still king. So if you can do anything to bring attention to Taylor's Walk to Know, please go to the website of Omega Point Institute. Uh, you can keep track of Taylor's progress. S- send him an email, blog, and let him know you're paying attention. Uh, if you are in one of the cities he's walking through, please show up. It's it's a lonely job to walk across America. As I said, he left January 5th from Santa Monica, California. He's already cleared to Arizona. He's in New Mexico. And he will walk till he gets to uh, Washington, D.C. And I, I'm very pleased that the Academy was able to meet with Congressman Ryan, Tim Ryan, recently. And Congressman Ryan has agreed to meet Taylor when he gets to the Capitol steps in Washington at the end of his walk with at least two or three other congressmen who will embrace... The public's right to know, and every time a political leader does that, please stand up and applaud them. It's like applauding a corporate executive who does the right thing. So thank you very much, and by all means, give Taylor a, a shout out and let him know he's not alone, even though it seems like it in the dead of night, walking across the prairie.
0: And to get there, go to Omega Point dot So quickly for our listeners, the World Business Business Academy is a 501 c 3 nonprofit organization. And our work relies on the support of people like listeners of this show. Um, we have a $25 a month associate member level that I'd like to encourage you to sign up for. And if you go to our website at worldbusiness.org, again, that's worldbusiness.org, and click on Become a Member on the right side of the page, uh, you can sign up for that $25 a month associate membership. Next Ronaldo, I do want to get to the U.S. and global econ- economic news But first, let's uh, take a look at some of the responses from our listeners and uh, and answer some of their questions. Where do you want to start? Well, First of all, I want to start with a shout-out to our listeners,
1: because this is the most comments we've had in one show. So I'm really excited that people wrote in. Uh, As is our policy, we're only going to use first names. We're not going to use last names. But um, uh, to the listener named Judith asked a question about the November show, in which I talked about the fact that if you live overseas, you cannot purchase— directly into the World Business Academy-advised fund. And that has to do with um, certain rules that deal with how money has to be brought into the country and kept track of and taxes taken from it, et cetera. However, um, and we will send you a a link to the, We'll send you an email on this, Judith, for your personal case. It is possible for a foreign national to have a U.S.-based account. And once they have a U.S.-based account, and frankly... Wealthy foreign nationals do this quite commonly, as you know. In fact, when, when the U.S. is going to do sanctions on these Venezuelans, the first thing they do is they froze seven bank accounts, right? So, obviously, they have bank accounts. Um, it, it's not that difficult to have an account in the United States. Uh, I know of one firm in Florida that, that uh, provides accounts for the U.S. And, and, and is willing to do the paperwork to help you with that. And once that account is in the U.S., then you can, if you are a foreign national, from that account purchase, I believe... Uh, the World Business Academy advised fund. Uh, I would defer to my friends at, at, at First Affirmative for a complete answer on that because as you know, I'm not a securities uh, licensed securities dealer of any sort but I believe what, I, what I've what i just said is an accurate statement of what can be done and Judith will, will get you some reference to people who might be able to help you if you seriously do want to try and do that and thank you for asking me to clarify that. Um, I think it's important for people to know that they are able to participate in the U.S. economy if they want to. The next question I really uh, uh, found interesting. It's uh, it's from a gentleman that I actually know fairly well named Lorenzo, and and he um, he brought up a couple of questions, and, and, and one of them was basically dealt with a comment I made that the U.S. government should be doing something in the Ukraine to support what clearly is an invasion, and, and I would. I really analogize the invasion of uh, Ukraine to what uh, Hitler did in World War II. It was a blitzkrieg. Same thing. Tanks, guys coming across the border, professional soldiers, and basically uh, Russia taking on a very small country and rolling it. Uh, And I said I felt that the U.S. uh, should at the very least be willing to provide defensive armaments like anti-tank weapons, because with tanks, if you've got a, a rifle, you haven't got a chance. So I think that we should supply them with what I consider to be defensive weapons, and I believe we should be doing that now because I think the Ukrainians are putting up a hell of a struggle against an extraordinarily out-of-control um, totalitarian
0: state, Russia. And if you harken back to our conversation, I disagreed, and I know it's a hard discussion, so I don't want to go back into it, but I continue to have that position.
1: Yeah, I understand. And, 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 I, and by the way, I respect it, too, because I understand people saying— weapons of any kind, etc. The thing is, there's that part of me, maybe it's my age, Matt, I just can't stand seeing the little guy get kicked. I totally get it. You know, Absolutely. And, and and I'm not going to go in there and, and, and stop that fight with American troops, but I'd like to give David a slingshot when he's up against Goliath. Yeah. And that's what you're talking. Ukraine and Russia is David and Goliath. And that's I don't true. think anybody would object to a slingshot for David, except I do get the morality question. Okay, well, here's what Lorenzo asked that's interesting. He said... Shouldn't there be some support in a similar fashion for the indigenous peoples in Canada and the Native Americans in the U.S. whose rights have been trumbled,
0: trammeled, their treaty rights have been abused in both cases forever? And, and should, recently, yeah, especially recently for mining and, and pipeline development.
1: Yeah, and of course that's why they were trampled in the first place was for the gold in the Black Hills, right? Uranium. (laughs) Uranium. (laughs) The westward expansion, you know. The whole thing has been nothing but abuse of indigenous people. So I couldn't agree more with the sentiment, Lorenzo. Here's the distinction I would draw, and I think you you wrote this question tongue-in-cheek. The distinction is this. We in the United States of America are as guilty as anybody who's abusing Native American rights if we don't stand up for them. And the reality is... In a democracy, the people get inevitably better than they deserve. Meaning, if we sit on our hands and do nothing, if we do not really push for fairness for the Native American, if we don't push for fairness for the indigenous Canadian peoples, we are as guilty as their abusers because we stood silently by. So I would ask everybody listening, do what you can. I know when I was a young man in law school, I actually brought a case before the federal government uh, to prevent the decertification of a store on the upper Yukon, which would have left 600 Native uh, natives in, in Alaska with no food source for the winter because they literally had to survive on food stamps. And if that store was, store was decertified, you were talking to two to 600 people in imminent jeopardy of dying. I fought that for free. We won that case. That store stayed open and those people didn't die. I'm extremely proud of that moment in my career. And I hope that everybody else, whenever they can, would do whatever they can so that the least of us is as well protected as the richest of us, which right now is not the case. So I believe that in our society, taking up arms is not the solution. I think the solution is going to the ballot box because look what happened when we didn't a couple just a few months ago. And what, 16% of the public elected the new Congress, in effect.
0: I want to I want to comment on that quickly too, which is the indigenous and first people's movements that are at the forefront of a lot of the resistance to the mining and pipeline operations in Canada are extremely impressive and are just going to get stronger as the, the tar sands there uh, continue to be exploited, even with or without the Keystone Pipeline. I think they're already actively strategizing for shifting if that pipeline goes a different direction uh, for export through Vancouver. Uh, the the organizing that's going on and the resistance is going to mount, and I just mark my words on this one, this is going to be unprecedented in terms of the resistance there because the Idle, Idle No More movement and the other solidarity movements are uh, in their early stages and are about to get a huge swell of support that's going to coalesce along with the climate change and the more radical elements of the environmental movement. Uh, so watch that space, and if you're so motivated, go, go check it out and, and get involved with them online. Well,
1: and I want to put in a, a, a really strong endorsement for an organization, a dear friend of mine, uh, a fellow of the Academy, Lynn Twist, has been building yeah. an organization called Panchamama Alliance. And what it's been really fighting is for the indigenous people of Peru. And it's been fighting against the consolidated interests of the oil companies. And it's horrific Ecuador, Ecuador also, yeah. Ecuador too, right. And so I just, maybe we should get Lynn on the program. You know, the, it, it, look at it a Mama Alliance and look what one group of Americans, just out of the goodness of their heart because they believe in the rights of indigenous people, have built. I, I'm totally impressed. Well, Lynn is impressive and has been forever, but, but that she has taken on this task and that she's brought so many people into the space with her to support indigenous rights of people who you would otherwise never meet or even think about. That's the mark of a, of, of a truly honorable human being, and, and I think I'm gonna ask Lynn to be on the program. Uh, the other thing besides Pachamama I wanna list, and this is something that we'll get into for sure in a subsequent show, I'm a member, some of you know, of a thing called Human Rights Watch. And human Rights Watch is the leading uh, organization in the world for literally uh, chronicling and, and, and monitoring human rights abuses all over the planet. Uh, human Rights Watch has decided to get into the business now of monitoring human rights abuses that are the direct result of climate change and a direct result of the way that we conduct our business affairs. I couldn't be more proud. Uh, uh, Their first report will be due out shortly and I'm delighted that it's a building activity at HRW. All of you who don't know about Human Rights Watch, I urge you, please go Google it. It's the most powerful organization in the world that actually documents the abuses of humans all over the world and gets results.
0: But now I want to go back to Lorenzo. second question. Before, before we go there, I, let me just finish on the indigenous piece, Ronaldo, because I, I, this is something that inspires me and keeps me uh, motivated and healthy, uh, is re- remembering the knowledge that they have to share with us, and especially around these issues. And I'm just going to share a quote, and then we can move on, which is a Hopi prophecy. When the earth is ravaged and the animals are dying, a new tribe of people shall come onto the earth from many colors, creeds, and classes. And who, by their actions and deeds, shall make the earth green again. They shall be known as the warriors of the rainbow.
1: And I refer to them as Homo Universalis, exactly. which is the
0: topic of the show. But I
1: would love to talk about Homo Universalis and basically uh, the work of uh, conscious evolution, meaning we don't have the time, ladies and gentlemen, to wait for many generations to come and die and live and be born and, and die for these things to change. Yep. We must change them in our lifetime or we will not survive as human civilization. So conscious evolution is about knowing we don't have millennia to change. We have to change immediately because we are conscious. And we have to change consciously. Uh, so I couldn't agree with you more in that quote. I, I love that. The warriors, is the rainbow. That harkens back to my youth. Thank you. <laughs> okay, now, um, let's just talk about Lorenzo's second question, which has to do with TPP. And what he's saying is that that's the Trump-specific... Uh, trade pack, and and on a show uh, I said that I was not sure whether this treaty is a good idea or not and one of the reasons I gave for saying that is it's so secret we don't know for sure what's in it I mean that's the number one and you heard my comments earlier about GMOs I think um, I understand that there are occasions and this may be one of them where the executive branch feels that it can't deal constructively with the legislative branch so it's got to get a deal done and deliver it as a whole, take it or leave it package, because this Congress is so fractious that they can't get anything through. I understand the temptation, and, and I do believe there's a real problem there. On the other hand, something done in secret like this, where the most powerful members of society will, are having a, have a seat at the table, and the least powerful have no seat at all is is an area of severe concern for me. So Lorenzo, to the extent that you're wondering about that, I absolutely couldn't agree with you more. And one of the practices that you are asking about in your question is whether or not natural ecosystem destruction by national or global companies acting basically like um, modern day colonialists, um, will they impair our ability to survive as a human species? And I couldn't agree with you more. I, that's my biggest fear about these, um, the, this, the secrecy behind TPP is that the American public and humans generally will be sold down the, down the river in a colonialist way by people who think that they speak for us because they're looking out for their own profits. And in that context, I also want to go one step further. It seems to me that if we are going to permit a trade agreement to occur, which would compromise either our environmental protections or most importantly, do anything to further enshrine Citizens United, i.e., treat corporations as having special humanist type characteristics. Anything that would enshrine Citizens United is absolutely one of the most deadly things we could do to human civilization. Uh, As all of you know, listen, Citizens United, and I made this comment before the Supreme Court acted, I said, if that case goes through the wrong way, It could spell the end of the democracy as we know it, and I believe what has transpired since the case came down proves that that statement was correct. We have got to reverse Citizens United or the American republic will not survive. And the flood of money into politics is merely one sign of that. If we were to enshrine Citizens United, to say that corporations are people when in fact they're not, and to give them the rights of people, which is what is the rumors about TPP? That would be all by itself a reason to kill the entire trade bill. So I'll end with this thought. If when we see this bill, if, if the TPP comes for a vote before Congress, and it has either of those two, well, three things in it that in my mind would call for every every political force to vote against it, what those three things would be, enshrining Citizens United, because corporations are not people and we've got to reverse that in this country, anything that would do environmental destruction because it would enshrine the protection of improper practices to the environment and the ecology whether through farming or mining or otherwise and the third thing would be anything that does anything that will tend to depress the ability of workers to organize for their own health welfare and safety if any of those three things is in this tpp then the entire tpp has to be voted down no matter what might be in it that's good and we'll get along just fine without it those three things are to me are suicide pills So Lorenzo, I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for bringing up the question, and I hope that clarifies what our position is on it.
0: So let's move on now to talk about the uh, economic doomsday clock, which we've been reporting on for a few uh, months now, Ronaldo. Which, when it strikes midnight, uh, it implies the beginning of a collapse scenario in the economy. In January and February, we were at about six minutes to midnight. Where would you say we are today? I'm going to answer. I just want to. Tell Lisa and Sharon, I'm sorry
1: we didn't get to your questions, and we will get back to you with emails, uh, just the time a uh, allotted didn't allow for us to take all the comments we got this week. And please send them in, folks, because
0: even if we don't do them on air, every single one of them gets answered. That's a good point. Let's let's give them the email address for that. Please send them to info at worldbusiness.org. Again, that's info at worldbusiness.org, and we'll uh, filter them for you. Okay,
1: so I'm delighted that the that the economic doomsday clock has been turned back two minutes from eight minutes to midnight to 10 minutes a minute. What caused this? Well, I can tell you for a fact, it's the biggest single thing is this new awareness that we, the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems facing the United States is the inequality of income and the gap that's been growing. And that companies are now starting to weigh in on that, that that wages are starting to go up at the bottom. You know, I want to ask all of you listening, to agree with this statement, because I can't think of any reason it's not true. It should be morally, ethically, and legally unacceptable to have someone work for 40 hours a week and still be below the poverty line. How can somebody work for 40 hours a week and still be below the poverty line? Because that means that you and I as taxpayers have to support the greed of some corporation who's underpaying their workers to the point where they're literally below the poverty line. That's unacceptable. You know, whether we'll ever get back to a white picket fence and one one breadwinner being able to support a family of four may or may not in the near future. But we should never be willing to accept the idea that you can work a 40-hour week and be below the poverty line. That puts a lie to our form of economics, and it puts a lie to our society, which we cannot tolerate. I thought we got rid of that in the days of Upton Sinclair. And I don't want to go back there. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, you live a better life today because we left the world of Upton Sinclair. And I urge you all to support what these companies and these states are doing by raising the minimum wage. So that's the principal reason. And to get combined with the fact that there's these actions like McDonald's and there's people who are now seeing there are ways to lift the U.S. economy without waiting for the government to do the infrastructure spending it needs to do. And by the way, the government still needs to do that infrastructure spending. You know, that over half the bridges in America aren't safe is something you all ought to be concerned about as you drive to work every day. You know that 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 we that we are still probably the worst country in the industrial world when it comes to railroads, and we were the leader. Um, that we have got a messed up transportation system at every level. All of these things we have to address with infrastructure spending, and we have a very lean federal and state bureaucracy now. It's not we don't have too many people employed by government. And I believe that it's time for us to support the growth of the, of the business sector by spending for infrastructure, even as these minimum wages go up. And if we do that, we'll be able to maintain a 3 to 5% annual growth rate in this country indefinitely. I repeat, 3 to 5% indefinitely. I'm still on my prediction that 2015 will show a 3.5% growth, uh, even though uh, retail sales in the first three months were off. And um, should I segue into that? Which part? Uh, the bad
0: financial reporting. Yeah, I think that's a, good, that's a good place to start here.
1: Yeah, so folks, you know, I saw a couple of stories this, this, the last couple of days just frosted my patootie. Let me tell you what they were. Uh, it was like retail, these are, in, by the way, this is in financial press. This is not in like places where you wouldn't expect to get information. This is in the financial press. And what it said was the retail sales were down for three months in a row. And that's the first time retail sales have been down since 2012, which is implying since the recession started
0: to end. First time they've been down for three months in a row since 2012. Right. Got it. So you read that, if you just read the headlines, you would
1: be concerned. You would say, oh my goodness, is the recovery coming to an end or is it slowing down? The reverse is true, by the way. The recovery is picking up speed, as I've just said. And it's nowhere near coming to an end. It's just starting to ramp up. So... What was that about, and why did it make the headlines, and what was underneath the headline? Well, if you keep reading in those stories and you go a little bit deeper, what you'll find is that, in fact, during those three months, this well, just last month, retail sales on the internet went up by 2.2%. It's a big jump. Big jump. Now, what happened? I think there's a one-word explanation. The three months we're talking about are December, January, and February, and the explanation is the word snow. 45 states in America had extremely severe winter conditions this year, some of them as far south as basically Florida, but certainly north of the Carolinas, all the way north to Maine, have been hammered by snow. The entire rust belt has been hammered by snow. And and so that people couldn't get to a brick and mortar store explains the minor drop in re- in, in, in retail sales. When you take that snow factor out, and you go, oh, but when they were sitting at home with their computers, they're spending more as usual. That is the proof of what I'm saying. When you lift minimum wages, you lift consumption. Lift consumption, you lift the American economy. So I want everybody, please, if you listen to this show, don't just listen to me. Start reading. Read a lot. Ask questions. Don't look at headlines only, because headlines are very often misleading. And as I said, even in the financial press, because there's a story that the financial press wants to get out, they're pretty bad about the accuracy of those stories generally. And so you really have to be proactively engaged in seeking out truth just because you wanna know, not because you are too lazy to find out. Uh, so that, that's that's my warning on bad financial reporting and I'm delighted that the, the retail economy is doing fine. We're gonna have a great retail year. I'm gonna reissue my 3.5% growth projection for the full year. Uh, 3 to 3.5 is what I've been saying. And at this point, it looks to me it's going to be closer to the 3.5 than the 3. And I feel really good about where we are in the recovery because it's building speed. And as you know, the unemployment numbers are showing it. I mean, virtually every sector is showing it. I mean, even Obamacare, uh, and I'm quoting now from an article in this week's Economist, which is truly amazing, um, that Obamacare, which... Um, now, this is The Economist. As all of you know, The Economist is a conservative... Financial, but well written. They call it
0: newspaper. Generally I call it magazine. Honest, yeah.
1: Generally better reporting too, yeah. <laughs> and owned by Lady Rothschild of all people. So, okay, oh, I'm quoting. Obamacare appears to be working better than expected. Close quote. Actually, not better than I expected, but better than the popular press because they weren't looking at the details. Better than the Economist expected. Yeah, the proportion of Americans uh, who lack coverage has fallen from 16.2 percent to 12.3 percent. So that's over 12 million people are now covered who weren't before Obamacare. And secondly, so that's the first issue, the previously terrifying pace, which we've talked about on the show, of medical inflation has slowed. Right. It's now slowing down. And whereas it continues to absorb about 16% of the GDP of the U.S., that number is going to start to drop. So I want to share with you, and, and by the way, this is in the, um, the issue dated March 7th. So if you want to go find it, pages 15 and 16. It, it, and it had one other thing that I want to point out because we hear so much about Medicare. This is an interesting statistic. Annual spending per Medicare beneficiary. Remember, more people are getting to be my age, 65 plus, every single day. I think it's, uh, it's 10000 per month. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And yet, the annual spending per recipient, so we're older, so you'd think they're spending more, has actually fallen. It's fallen from $12,000 in 2011 to an estimated 11200 in 2014, and those are real dollars not adjusted for inflation. So what it's saying is, because of Obamacare, we're, we are slowly but surely nowhere near as much as we should have done with a single-payer system, but we're starting to reform this unholy nexus of insurance companies and providers providing better care for 12 million more people and doing it even in the case of, of people uh, over 65 at the Medicare age, doing it at a cheaper price per person. I mean, I I can't tell you how much good news that is in one package. So I'm really pleased about that. When you look at those fundamental changes in the economy and the fact that although the U.S. Congress has done some extraordinarily stupid things even in the last couple of last week, I mean, 47 senators making common cause with the Ayatollah in Iran. I mean, I don't know what those people, what Kool-Aid they were drinking. Even John McCain, the unreconstructed warrior, uh, backed off uh, his approval, he was a signatory, uh, and said he maybe we shouldn't have done that.
0: They, today they were trying to act like that it was a joke, like that they didn't mean it, that they were tongue in cheek speaking to the foreign <laughs> leaders of Iran with their letter explaining, uh, you know, totally just so rude. I mean, the, they tried to explain in their letter the way the U- U.S. constitutional system works, as if Iran hasn't been studying U.S. politics for seventy years and following it closely. I, I was disgusted by that, and it's horrifying. Well,
1: I think, look, first of all, there used to be a saying when I was growing up that the politics stops at the water's edge. Yeah, absolutely. You, you don't play politics with the, with the fate of the nation. Number two, uh, as is clear, and maybe it, Netanyahu is a disgrace, in my humble opinion, to the state of Israel because he's putting them in great jeopardy. Um, the negotiations with Iran over the last year and a half have produced a stall in that forward momentum towards a nuclear weapon. And I believe if we can stall them another 10 years, don't forget, folks. Iran's one of the youngest countries in the world because of how many people they lost in the war with Iraq. I think half the population is under thirty, more than half. And so you you got you want to let these people grow up uh, and have a chance to begin to manage their country in a more thoughtful way. And most of those young people are pro-West. They don't they don't want to die in a nuclear conflagration, and they certainly don't want sanctions to continue. So my if we could buy ten years of no nuclear weapons from Iran. and and get an adequate way to to see into their potential for that as that 10 years comes to an end, I believe we probably will have served ourselves well and have avoided a conflagration in the Middle East. And to try and have 47 senators say the U.S. government isn't supported by 47 senators and the president will be leaving office before we do, to me is not only rude, I couldn't agree more, stupid, couldn't agree more, self-destructive, couldn't agree more, And more importantly, a completely politically driven way to hit the president without looking at the consequences to everybody who lives in the Middle East and, frankly, everybody who lives in America. So everybody who signed that letter, every single one of you, you signed a letter of shame. I'm glad that your biographers will have to mention that (laughs) as one of the dumbest things you did in your life because it will never go away. You know, Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote that book, A Scarlet Letter. You got yours, folks, all 47 of you. Anyway, back to the global economy. Uh, We have a strong dollar. People are wondering if that's going to be a bad thing. Again, the financial press likes to stir people up. The answer is, no, it's a good thing. Um, There will be some adverse implications for large multinationals who make a tremendous amount of their profits overseas. Those profits will be depressed. But there are ways that you can hedge the currency. So that's not the end of the world. And uh, as far as the people being able to buy less American goods overseas, that's true. I mean, there are companies like Caterpillar. They're going to have problems. No question about it. But at the end of the day, those products which Americans make that the world really wants, I don't think Apple's going to go broke because of the strong dollar. I just don't see that happening. I don't see Google going out of business. I don't see Facebook having to you know, start selling tomatoes on the street corner in order to make, make it ends meet. So I'm really not worried about global multinationals. They're pretty good at taking care of themselves, frankly. What I'm really concerned about is uh, we will give more buying power to those people in our society who make the least amount of money. So a strong dollar isn't going to change whether a billionaire goes to Europe or not. But it will change whether that person who needs uh, a, a chair for their living room, it'll, it'll give them a, a chair for a less expensive price. Uh, that person who needs to buy something because they're barely keeping ends together and making ends meet They'll be, their purchasing power is going to go up, so I think the strong dollar is a better thing than a bad thing, and and I'm going to keep reading stories about it. If I see a change in that, I'll tell you. Oil prices in a similar vein. People, oh well, the oil companies aren't going to make as much money. And there's going to be layoffs in the oil patch. There sure as heck should be layoffs in the oil patch. I mean, the more the better, frankly. And those people ought to go out and get jobs that don't destroy the environment. Okay, let's 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 you know just because we don't execute people. Except for the state of Utah, it's about to bring execution by firewing squad back. If you hadn't seen that story, just though you know, it used to take you know ten people to shoot a bullet to kill one person, which I'm against capital punishment in every form, and and, and so saying, well, gee, we shouldn't stop shooting people because you know if we if only one person can inject them, that puts nine people out of work. Well, the point is those nine people shouldn't have the job in the first place, and the same thing is with the oil patch. So what I'd like to suggest is this: oil prices are going to go sideways or down. They're not going to go up dramatically. Uh, if, if, if Saudi Arabia decides to change its approach, which so far as of today, March 12th, it hasn't, uh, you will see an upward blip that I don't believe will get higher than 75 My guess is it probably won't get higher than $65 a barrel. And that will be a temporary blip because it's not sustainable. Uh, just like the prices that went up in the last 30 days are no longer sustainable. I was delighted as I drove to work this morning. The prices at the pump are down about, uh, oh gosh, 15 cents or more per gallon um, than just two weeks ago, a week or two ago. So I'm pleased that oil prices being down are really good for the American consumer. It's stopping this this leech that's been sucking from the American economy called the oil and gas industry. And as a result, you're going to see more consumer spending and you're going to see more economic lift, which is what we're getting.
0: Excellent. And, Ronaldo, I don't want to run out of time before we get to our uh, huge victory that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Uh, We entered into a a protest filing at the California Public Utilities Commission uh, to try and stop some natural gas infrastructure from being built. Can you summarize, uh, first of all, what the case was and the outcome? Yeah. And I
1: want to say that this started two years ago when I met with Commissioner Florio of the CPUC, California Public Utilities Commission. And I said, Commissioner... You can't meet global reduction of CO2. You can't even stabilize global CO2 levels if you continue buying junk that burns fossil fuel. So we've made it uneconomic to buy oil-fired plants and probably illegal. We've made it increasingly impossible to build new coal coal plants. But there's been this rush to buying natural gas-fired peaker plants. Well, even though they are superior to coal, and they are, they're not anywhere near as acceptable as photovoltaic, as wind, as geothermal, OTEC, and other technologies that are readily available and, and competitive today. So I said to the commissioner, commissioner, count on the academy to, to try and block any effort to buy more of that equipment, which I know if you do agree to buy, you will end up making us pay for over 30 years, let's say, but you'll take it offline within 10 because the CO2 levels will be so high. So we'll end up paying for a 30-year asset, and we'll only get 10 years of use from it. And in the process, it will continue to foul the atmosphere and bring on climate change. So count on us to object. Well, a case came up um, called the Carlsbad case, in which the uh, commission was giving tentative approval, it gotten pretty far, to the purchase of a number of these peaker plants in Carlsbad and the argument was that they were going to be required to replace the energy lost from San Onofre Nuclear Power Plant, which the Academy is very happy to help close. Now, and keep closed. First of all, there is no apparent shortage of electricity that demands those peakers be built today. I want to point that out because it's, it's, it's often overlooked. It's a theoretical need for electricity. There are no brownouts that are as a result of San Onofre closing. This is San Diego Gas and Electric. No brownouts are happening from that. So what we need to be observing is what could we do to have renewable energy that would perform the same function and bring it online? Let's start using our money for that. And this is the first time in the history of the state of California an administrative law judge ruled that the application to buy those peakers should be temporarily denied while San Diego Gas and Electric is forced to look at what other ways to meet future electrical needs might be besides using pico plants. It's an astounding victory. I'm glad that the Academy took that position. I'm glad that, um, by the way, the judge has not yet accepted what we believe is the right way to do this. She's kept her powder dry on that. So we will be hopefully in communication with San Diego Gas and Electric uh, to demonstrate to them that the renewables are here today Uh, We're a believer in the academy in microgrids. For those of you who don't live in California, Governor Brown in his State of the State speech specifically identified microgrids as a way to achieve energy needs of the future, not only here in California, but globally, but certainly in California. And so the victory is this. We filed a petition in Carlsbad saying... Please don't buy any more peaker plants. You don't have to. Let's stop buying stuff that burns natural gas. Let's stop adding to the CO2 that's building up. And let's go figure out how to start reducing CO2. Let's get to renewables. Let's use our state resources, what everybody pays in California for their electrical bills. Let's start putting it to buying renewables. Let's stop this insanity of building more stuff that we know we're going to have to throw away anyway at a greater cost in the long run. So that's and by the way, in that subject, uh, in which we will introduce in the record, just uh, it just came out. I'm so proud of this. Uh, there was a, a report that came out from I think it was Duke. I want to see if I can find it here real quickly. Talking about how the, the social cost of carbon, the social carbon. cost of carbon, right here. So here's a and, and and this is a great article. And anybody wants it, write to Infoworld Business, and we'll we'll send you a link to it. But the price of natural gas, I'm quoting, more than doubles. What it's, what it's stated as more than doubles if you are to take into account, according to Duke University, the actual damage that that fossil fuel, natural gas does to both to the environment and to the climate and human health. Because natural gas in a peaker gives out particulate matter. It gives out nitrous oxides. It gives out enormous amounts of carbon dioxide. And it gives out um, other noxious gases. So what Duke just released, and it's dated... Um, actually, I think it's dated today or yesterday. They have, no, March 4th, excuse me, March 4th. The headline of the article is, New Models Yield, clear Picture of Emissions, True Costs. We're going to submit this Duke finding to Carlsbad because one of the things that Canadi's been saying for years is you're, under, you're underpricing the true cost of fossil fuels because you don't look at the health implications that we pay for and you don't look at, the, at climate change. Well, this article from the report from Duke will really help us make that case. So it'll be just one more thing we'll do. Count on it, folks. We will continue to fight the good fight. Please do what Matt asked you to though. We need that, it might not seem like a lot, $25 a month. I mean, that's one latte a week. But if you you join us, not only can you keep this program on the air so we can keep informing people and tell your friends, because Lord knows we need more listeners and we're happy to do this for free. But that 25 bucks a month, that's what keeps us in business, as small as it is, because so many of us work for so little here, and I work for free, that 25 bucks a month from enough people keeps us in the game so that victories like Carlsbad can happen. That took two years. And by the way, we're a long way from finished on that. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and I wanted to m- mention that before we wrap up, all those, that the implications of this sea change at the CPUC are, are significant for our other efforts to eliminate the use of fossil fuels in the whole state of California. Do you have more to add to that?
1: Yeah, I think some of you, in fact, one of our listeners commented on they appreciated that we have directed them to the Moonshot, so the California Moonshot, which is our pilot project. We have designed, technically, with incredible sophistication, I'm so proud of our team, the world's first completely reliable, resilient, 100% renewable energy-based and scalable microgrid ever designed in the history of the human civilization. And that microgrid design could be put into play today if the Powers that be would give us permission to do so. We've submitted that it should happen in Santa Barbara for some reasons you can read. It's, we don't have the time to go into it now. Please go to our website, worldbusiness.org, easy to remember, worldbusiness.org, and look up the Moonshot Project, and you'll learn more about why we don't ever need to burn another kilogram of fossil fuel, whether it's natural gas or otherwise.
0: On behalf of the World Business Academy, thank you for joining us. Uh, to connect with us in between shows, email us at info at and tune in next month for the next episode of New Business Paradigms. Until then, thank you for listening, and please do share this link. With Lucky Land slut, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.